How are you? You glad to be back this afternoon? Some of you have church three times now today. That's pretty cool. Can I ask some folks to pass these out for me? I don't know who wants to do it. Anybody can't thank you. And uh, anyone? Hey, man, thanks. And oh, you want to help? That's cool. Let me grab one. I love it when young people get involved. Amen. Let's stick this over here. West Virginia. What do you know about West Virginia? Be kind. What's that? Are you from West Virginia? No. <laughs> it's right next to Ohio. That's right. It's coming. That's right. West Virginia is a unique place. The economic structure of West Virginia is centered around its coal mines. You ever heard of the coal mines in West Virginia? Anyone watch CNN in the last seven days? West, there are families in West Virginia right now that are going through some hard times. And they've lost fathers and husbands and brothers. How many followed that story there in of the miners there. You know, one of the statements that challenged me as I was following this story, it was on all of the television stations, I'm about an hour and a half south of there, was that here you have all these families gathered in this little Baptist church. And they're all praying And then comes the news that all but one are alive. And they praise God because their prayers have been answered. And then, a few hours later, three to be exact, the news comes back that no, it's all but one are dead. I want you to put yourselves into the position of these mining families at this moment. What would you, and just be honest, don't give me the correct answer, give me the honest answer. What would you be feeling towards God at that moment? Angry? Sadness? What? Yeah. Why? Would you be asking why? All right. And that's how many people adjust, uh, adjust to it. And we all have different ways of coming at the subject that we're about to look at this afternoon. And I want to ask for your grace. We all have different opinions, correct? We all come to this subject from different experiences. I'm coming to this subject with my experience. And I'm going to admit to you from the beginning that one hour is not enough time to do this subject justice. But I used to be in the place where my worldview was much like the families of these miners. Much like 
You know, everything happens for a reason. And I just want to share with you I have an eight-year-old, soon-to-be-nine, and a three-year-old. And my wife and I, the reason there's such a distance between those two ages is because my wife and I have buried two children. And that's where I come to this subject from. I'm not sharing that with you to evoke any type of sympathy because we've all suffered, amen? Amen. But I found myself in the same similar place as these mining families once with my fist raised to heaven asking why. Why? I was angry. And I'm just being honest. Can I be transparent with you? When I look at these subjects, I'm reading a book right now. It's an excellent book. I recommend it highly to anyone who likes the subject. But it is a book by, and I forget the author's name. But it's a book that contrasts the statements by Sigmund Freud and C.S. Lewis. On the existence of God, love, sex, and the world. Their views. One was a devout atheist his entire life. C.S. Lewis was an atheist for the first half of his life. And then became a Christian. And actually wrote some of the most profound arguments against atheism to date in Christianity. And as I'm going through this book, I realize that these two young men, they abandoned religion at a very young age. Sigmund Freud abandoned religion because of the suffering that he experienced growing up in Europe during that time, being a Jew, and the feelings that there were towards Jews. Prior to the Holocaust. Leading up to the Holocaust. Some of the seeds were planted in the early 1900s that would develop into the Holocaust. C.S. Lewis had an interesting experience. When he was nine years old, he watched his mother die. His mother was diagnosed with cancer. And he is a nine-year-old little boy. They decided to do surgery on her and... and, uh, Contrary to their family's financial place in life, they decided to have, which was uncommon, they decided to have the surgery at home. Only wealthy people had surgeries at home during that time. And he could hear his mother screaming during the surgery as he was in another part of the house. And he was praying to God for his mother. This Imagine this nine-year-old little boy praying to God for his mother. And then the news came. That she had died. And he walked in to give his regards to his mom as a nine-year-old little boy. And he says his sorrow turned to horror as he saw her body post-surgery. They're dead. A traumatic event for a nine-year-old to go through, wouldn't you say? But prefaced by the fact that he just got up off his knees begging for God to intervene. And let's face it. His mother died. Now, some of you say, well, why do we need to focus on all this stuff? Why can't we just praise God and keep on going? I mean, there are prayers that are answered, amen? 
And there are prayers that aren't answered. But you know, it's not the prayers that are answered that become the barriers between people's hearts in a relationship with God, is it? It's the prayers that we think aren't answered that become the barriers that disable our hearts from being able to trust, to engage in a trusting relationship with God. I had a a lady once, she was a 35-year-old lady, maybe in her 40s, somewhere around that age. That's becoming more important to me the, more, the older I get to pay attention to that. But I was doing a series in Upper Peninsula, Michigan. Anyone ever been to Upper Peninsula, Michigan? It is cold up there. And I got done with the series and I walked, was walking out to my rental car to drive to the hotel. I was going to catch an airplane the next morning and go home. And this lady was standing by my rental car. And she said, Pastor Herb, can I talk to you for a moment? I said, sure. Didn't want to tell her at that moment I'm not a pastor, but you know, it was the wrong time. She said, I want to believe what you have to say about God and how much he loves me. She says, my heart really wants to grab hold of that. She says, but I can't. I said, why not? She says, well, can I tell you my story? I said, sure. She said, when I was five years old, I used to go to Sunday school. She wasn't an Adventist. So I used to go to Sunday school and she said, I went to Sunday school one Sunday and I asked the teacher, I said, why doesn't God answer my prayers? Have you ever been there wondering that? She says, I pray and I pray and pray and God doesn't answer my prayers. Why doesn't God answer my prayers? And so this Sunday school teacher, well-meaning, I'm sure, there's no malicious intent. I'm convinced. But without finding out the situation behind the question, the teacher just blurted out, well, maybe you're not being specific enough in your prayers. And so this little girl, she's a woman now, but when she was five years old, she went home and she began to give God detailed instructions and directions on how to get from heaven to her house. And then once God got to her house, she began to give detailed instructions on how to get from her front door to her room. And then with meticulous detail, she would describe to God what her father and her brothers would be wearing that night as they would sexually abuse her. And she looked into my eyes that day in the parking lot and said, if God loves me the way that you say he does then why did Jesus never once answer my prayers? Now, can you feel the discomfort level in this room right now just by bringing it up? I want you to analyze it for a second. Why does it make us uncomfortable? Welcome to the real world. I hate to introduce it to you. Are things like that going on out there? Oh, let me clue you in. And I'm just being honest today. It's time that somebody is. I was in Canada doing a seminar and I got done with night number four and this lady got up in the back row. She came straight up to me and some of you aren't Adventists and this is not an Adventist thing. This lady got up, she came straight up to me, got right in my face. She said, don't you dare tell me God loves me. Being raised by an angry woman, I knew when to open my mouth to one and when to keep it shut. And so I just took a step back and let her vent. 
And she did. She let me have it. She said, if God loves me, why did he allow me to be sexually abused by my father who was an Adventist minister? These are uncomfortable questions, aren't they? Shoo! Especially if you're the one going around the planet telling people God loves them. But something I've noticed is that we spend most of our time answering all the questions that no one out there is asking. And all the questions that they are asking out there, they make us too uncomfortable to answer. But if we're going to be a people that are proclaiming to the world and the culture that we live in today that God loves them, then we'd better have some answers to some of these questions. Amen? Now, I believe the reason it makes us feel uncomfortable is because so far we haven't come up with any good answers. Would you agree with me? We're uncomfortable because we don't know what to say. Well, I think there is. Now, once again, I want to ask you to be like the Bereans. And don't just believe what I'm about to share with you just because I said it. Go back and study it for yourselves and see what you think. But I think that Adventists, above all other people, have something that's laid dormant in their belief system that is the seed to the answer to these very questions. And we haven't even realized it yet. We've kind of touched on it, but we haven't really explored it. You see, Adventists believe that not everything on this planet is happening the way God wants it to. Adventists believe that we are engaged right in the middle of something that others would term a war. We call it the great controversy. But for the sake of just stereotyping it, we believe we're living in wartime. Amen? And I want you to think about that as we progress this afternoon. You see, two words I want to put up on, your, on the board here for you to consider. The words love and control. Now, are these words synonymous? Think about it. If I... Some of you are readily shaking your head no. Some of you are already attuned to these thoughts. If I were to dictate everything my wife did from when she woke up to what she made for breakfast to what she did in the morning hours, the afternoon, what she made for lunch, when she made lunch, what she did in the afternoon, what she did in the evening, what she did the whole day, every half an hour to the half an hour, it was scheduled. I even scheduled in for her bathroom breaks. Would you say I was the most loving husband who ever walked the planet? Why? What would you call me? Yeah, I'm a freak, number one, but the adjective on that noun is control freak. Do you catch that? <laughs> I don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound good. <laughs> we see readily that these two words don't necessarily coincide, do they? Someone who's really into control usually knows very little about this. Are you with me? Why? Because we as Adventists believe that love requires what? Freedom. Now, check this out. Is freedom and control, are those synonymous? Those are actually what? 
opposites. And this is where the dilemma comes in. Because we want a God who is love, and yet at the same time we want a God who controls everything. Think about it. And so there's a rub. I just want to say, I believe God's in general control of this planet. He has set boundaries, amen? But if he's meticulously controlling everything that happens on this planet, if this is the type of world that exists when God's in control, then heaven's going to be a scary place. Are you with me? And if things like rape are not necessarily bad things. Have you ever heard that before? If you could just see it from God's perspective, you would understand why this is happening to you and you would see that it's actually a blessing. Have you ever heard that before to any aspect of suffering? Have you ever received that answer? If you could just see it from God's perspective, you would see if things like rape become good things just because of your vantage point and heaven is going to be filled with good things, do you get my point? No, let's just say it's evil and leave it there. Amen? It's wrong. It's not right. And could it be that this is a world governed by a God who doesn't believe in controlling it all, but rather is a God of love who grants His creatures what? Freedom. Last July... I shared with you last night, my family and I went on vacation. And when we went on vacation, we left our brand new poodle. Some of you have poodles. I feel sorry for you. I myself personally am not a poodle fan. I happen to have a daughter who is. And so I am an indirect poodle fan. Does that make sense? But we had a black poodle. And the day that we left for vacation, we got about 12 hours away from home and we got a phone call that the dog had run away. And so my daughter and I begin to pray. Now I want to walk you down two scenarios. I could start with the premise that God is in control. And watch where it leads. God is in control. He can do anything He wants to. He's in control. And so now I pray, God, I know you can bring this dog back. If you what? If it's your will. If you want to. And so now I begin to pray, God, please bring this dog back home. And some of this, this is the common way that we all think, isn't it? Where does this lead? I'll tell you where it led me. I came down to, and I'm just being honest with you this afternoon, I came down to the fact where three days later I got a phone call. I have been pleading with God for my daughter's sake. God, you can do this. Please do it. Do you catch the, 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 the pathos in the prayer? The spirit of the prayer? It's not a... It's a prayer of trying to convince him to want to. Are you with me? Have you ever been there before in your prayers? And the story ends this way. Three days later, I got a phone call that they'd found the dog, but it was dead on the side of the road. 
And in the moments leading up to the sharing of this with my eight-year-old daughter, if I start out with the theory that God is in control and that He could if He wanted to, what am I feeling right now, if we're going to be honest? Don't be correct, be honest. God didn't care, He didn't want to. Who loves my daughter more? Me or God? Me, because I would have done it. Do you see where that leads to? And right now, when I need God the most, or my daughter is in a moment, that's the time when there's schism in our relationship. Do you catch that? Because why? Why didn't you do this? If you start off with this picture of God, which is the modern evangelical picture of God? It's not the Adventist picture of God. Do you understand that? Adventists believe in a God who is and therefore has given. But if you start off with this picture of God, then when bad things happen, you're left with the question of, why? Why did you want this to happen to me? Isn't that what you're asking? See, we assume under this model, if God is in control of everything, then we assume that if God wanted to prevent something, we assume that He could. And if He didn't prevent something, then He must not have prevented it because He wanted it to happen for some good reason. And that's why you look at things and we say, Lord, why did you want this to happen? What good purpose do you have behind this tragedy that has occurred to me? Has anyone ever thought it through like this? You've reasoned it out? Whether you've put it on a board or not, have you followed this line of logic in your own thinking before? Why, God? And you know where this leads? This is scary. If everything is happening the way he wants it to, then everything is happening for a divine Reason, and everything is happening according to his what? Now think about that for a second. If this is true, is really everything happening according to God's will? Or are there... Great tragedies on this planet that are transpiring that God didn't want to ever happen for any good reason. Matthew 6, verse 10. Follow with me in your outline. Do you have them? Yes, we passed them out. Matthew 6, 10. Let's look at the scriptures and see. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. And I want you to notice this next part. Your will be done where? On earth as it is done where? In heaven. I ask you, if God's will is already being done automatically on planet earth, why do we need to pray for it to be done? Are you with me? Why do we need to pray for something that's already happening? This prayer insinuates that God's will to a large degree is not being done on this planet. Do you catch that? And we need to pray that God's will will be done here like it's done where? In heaven. But the prayer assumes that God's will is not being done on planet earth. Look at the next verse. Luke 7 verse 30. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, they did what? 
rejected what? The will. Is it possible to reject the will of God? Is it? Is it possible to delay the will of God? Is it possible to thwart the will of God? Now let me ask you this. Is it possible to prevent God's will from ever taking place throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity? How many say no? How many say yes? I love it when we have a mixture of opinions. You know what it means? Two things. Number one, we're thinking. And number two, we can have differences of opinions and still worship together. Amen? That's a side point, but I like that point. Read the next verse. And let's see which group's right. And I, don't, I really hate doing that. I probably shouldn't ask for a vote because it puts some people on the spot. But who cares? We're all being honest and transparent. None of us have it all together, right? 1 Timothy 2, 4, it says, Who desires how many? How many? All men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Are there going to be some people who prevent that from happening? Ever throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. Look at the next verse. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for, what does it say? He doesn't wish for any to perish. Do you catch that? But that all would come to what? Are there going to be some who prevent that from ever happening throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity? So can God's will be prevented from ever taking place. Why would God take a risk in creating a planet that can say no to Him indefinitely? Why would God do that? I believe because we serve a God who when you compare these two words, He values this far above this because He's a God of love. Now, what does that mean? Let's look at it. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17, it says, Now the Lord is the... And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is... Where God's Spirit is, there's not a spirit of control or manipulation. There's a spirit of what? Or freedom or choice. Not a force or compulsion. It says in Psalms 115, verse 16, the heaven, even the heavens, they are the... Do you remember in the prayer of Matthew 6, where is God's will being done right now? In heaven, that's right. We're to pray that it's done on earth, but it's done where? The heavens, they are the Lord's, but the earth He has given to the children of who? Men. Who's determining what happens on this planet and what doesn't? We are. Maybe not individually, but collectively, aren't we? And let me be honest with you. Let's just be honest. Whose will is ultimately being done on planet Earth today? I was hoping some of you would say Satan. But you know what the fact is? Nobody in this room can say the devil made me do it. It may also be his will, but whose will is it? We have a choice. See, what happens on planet Earth is much determined 
by human beings. People say, well, who's in control here, God? Who's in control, Satan? According to Psalms 115, who's in control? Now, I want to say, I want to qualify that, not individually. Are you with me? Because there are many things that happen to us that are outside of our control, correct? But some human being somewhere made a decision at some time that loosed a chain of events that are now affecting me. Isn't that true? So humanity, really, as a whole, is calling the shots down here. We need to come to grips with this. It's like a giant home. Each one of you, do you have a home that you live in? Have you ever kicked someone out of your home? Anybody here? Be honest. Sometimes it's the Christian thing to do. Okay. <laughs> you can determine who's in your home and who's not in your home, correct? Well, this whole world is our home. We can determine who's here and who isn't. But you know what the problem is? It's not just my home. It's everybody's home. And everybody has a right to say who's here or who's not. Isn't that true? I could be letting God into this planet and someone else could be what? Kicking him out. And while someone else is letting Satan in, I better be on my knees letting someone else in to take care of him. Isn't that true? And so we're living much in a war zone. People say, well, no, nothing happens on this planet without God okaying it first. Have you ever heard that before? Well, now you're reverting back to a God who's doing what? And I just want to ask you, is that, con is that consistent with the picture of a God who's love? Is that in harmony with a God who believes in freedom? Yes, there is a throne before which everything can pass before it will happen on planet earth. But do you know whose throne it is? It's yours and mine. I want you to think of rape for a moment. Who decided for that rape to occur? God? For some good reason? Now that's the control picture. Are you with me? Who decided for that rape to occur? The perpetrator. And some, some would argue, well, not necessarily. What if the perpetrator himself is a victim? Do you see what I'm saying? Well, go back in the chain of events. Somewhere at the beginning of that chain, you will find a free moral individual who set in motion a chain of events that led up to that rape. Do you see what I'm saying? But why did it happen? Because God ordained it for some good reason? No, because that person chose to abuse his freedom, freedom that was meant to inspire love. He abused that freedom in a way that would bring pain instead. Do you understand that? Some of you say, well, wh well, why doesn't God step in and prevent that? That's a good question. I mean, shouldn't God prevent rape? All rapes. Let's be honest. And shouldn't God prevent all child molestation, shouldn't he? Shouldn't God prevent all murders? How many think that's a good idea? And why stop at those three? Why, God should just prevent all sin, amen? And do you see where we just went? Now we've gone right back to a God who's doing what? 
See, we don't understand what this word means. We say it so much. God loves us and he's given us freedom. And then when bad things happen, we look up and say, why? As if it's not a world that's free, but a world who's still being controlled. Do you see that? We haven't reasoned out this freedom thing far enough. Freedom holds certain implications. Let me ask you, can God do anything he wants? Can God do anything? How many say yes? How many say no? I love it. But let's look at what the Bible says again. He is compassionate. Amen. But I want you to look at this verse, Titus 1 verse 2. In the hope of eternal life, which God who... What's that next word? What's that word? Now, did I say that? He cannot what? So is there at least one thing, according to the Bible, that God can't do? What is it? Lie. Let's talk about something else. How about love? Can God make you love him? Now, I did not say, will he make you love him? We all agree he won't. Amen? But can he? Does he have the ability to? How many say yes? How many say no? You guys are a good group. Good mix. Imagine with me that I created a computer chip, okay? You take this computer chip and you put it behind the ear of anyone that you have a fondness for. And this computer chip messes with the electric mag- electromagnetism of their brain. And it makes that individual love you. You got it? It virtually wiggled around the wires in their head. And they now love you. And so I go down, I get to one of these chips, and I stick it behind my wife's ear. Everything's pleasant, right? Hmm. But is it fulfilling? Why? No, she's loving me. Who's loving me? Some would say the chip, and that's right. That's the first step. But who programmed the chip? I did. So who's loving me? I am through the chip, through my wife. I'm loving myself. Aren't I? And now think about it. Remember what I said last night. If it begin, Love by definition is what? Other-centered. It begins with me and ends where? In someone else. If it begins with me and ends with me, it's not love. You have to call it something else now. Are you with me? So yes, God could come down here and wiggle the wires in our heads so that we would love him. But I ask you, would we really be loving him in that moment? Who would be loving him? He would be loving himself. And now you can't even call it love anymore. Are you with me? You have to call it something else. See, love by definition is something that God can't make happen. Do you see that? Love. We need to spend more time thinking about what love is and what it isn't and the implications of God creating a world for love. God created us for love, but for us to experience love, it requires that we have freedom because love cannot be forced even by an omnipotent God. Amen? But to give someone freedom, genuine freedom, you know what that means? To give someone genuine freedom means that you're 
you're taking a big risk. Because genuine freedom, think about it. If I give a person the option between A or B. Now, I really want them to have option A. Got it? But I give them the freedom to have A or B. And it's real, genuine freedom. They can have either one. If I give them the freedom to have either one, but I want them to have A, what happens when they choose B? What if they choose B? What can I do? If I've given them the genuine freedom to have either one, what can I do? Can I induce them to choose A now? Can I try to have them do A? But if I give them genuine freedom to have either, can I force them to have A? No. Let me give you this example. I have two friends. They lived in Seattle at the time of this story, and I lived about seven hours away in a little town called Malo. And they were having a birthday in about the same time period. And I said, hey, I live seven hours from you guys, and I like you guys a lot. Why don't you guys come to my house and have a birthday party? They said, huh? They said, Herb, it's our birthday. You drive the seven hours to our house and come to our birthday party. I said, okay. I was hoping you would do this the easy way. But you come to my house and have a birthday party. And we will go to the grocery store. And you can pick out anything you want for your birthday party. And we'll use my wallet. They said, man, that sounds good. Seven hours later, they were on my doorstep. Ready for a birthday party. And so I drove them to the grocery store and... We went to the frozen food department first. You understand, those of you who grocery shop, the wrongness in that. But we went to the frozen food department and, and they picked out, and I have to be honest with you, I know that ice cream is not good for you. But I like it a lot. And I don't eat it often. But when I do, there's only one kind of ice cream that I really like. And everyone has their favorite. But my favorite to date is Briar's Natural Vanilla Ice Cream. I know this is a health conscious church, but would anyone be bold enough to say you've tried at least a spoonful? <laughs> oh, all right. I'm not encouraging you to eat it because it's bad for you, okay? But what blows me away about this, if you know why it tastes so good, you flip it over to read the ingredients, and they're all in English. You can understand all of them. And there's only four, maybe three, four. No, there's four. It's milk, eggs, sugar, and natural flavor, something like that. But they're, yeah, vanilla. They're all in English. And I love it. And so we went to the frozen food department and they pulled out this big thing of Briar's natural vanilla ice cream and they put it in the shopping cart. And this was so hard, but I really wanted to test my theories. They drove seven hours to be a guinea pig. Don't ever be my friend. <laughs> but as difficult as it was, I picked up this Briar's vanilla ice cream I put it back in the cart, in the frozen thing, freezer, that's what you call them. 
and I pulled out artificially flavored 5,000 different types of ingredients, vanilla flavored rice dream, and I put it in the cart. And don't freak out, it's just ice cream made from rice. My wife and my daughters, they love the stuff, so don't make fun of it. I endure it. Rice dream. And I gave them the look. Do you know what look I'm talking about? Have you ever gotten that look when you were eating ice cream? Have you ever given that look when someone else was eating ice cream? So I gave them that look and they thought, oh, this is convictional, so we're not going to push the issue. We just went to the cake department. And they got out one of these <clears throat> 5,000 different types of death by chocolate cakes, stuck it in the cart, and I picked it up and I put it back in the little cake shelf and I pulled out one of those vanilla sugar-free diabetic cakes and stuck that in the cart and looked at him again. It's amazing what we do to each other over food. But when, then we went to the soda aisle. And they got this huge thing of Mountain Dew. Now, I am not a caffeine fan. I draw the line some places. Okay? But I gave them the look again, and I reached for the Mountain Dew. And before I could get to it, the more vocal of the two said, Hold on a second! You said... We could pick out anything we wanted for our birthday party. And since we have been here, you've not let us have one thing that we've picked. And I said, oh, you didn't pay close enough attention to what it was I actually said. I said you could choose anything you wanted for your birthday party. I did not say you could have... What you chose. And without any thought, without any pause, this spontaneous comeback came. Well, if I'm not free to have what I chose, I wasn't really free to have it and choose it in the first place, was I, Herb? Do you agree with them? It's just a matter of semantics, isn't it? See, God gives us the freedom to have A or B. Does that make sense? Why does He give us the freedom to have A or B? Because only in the context of freedom can we experience true what? So love requires freedom. But genuine freedom means that if someone chooses B, there's going to be some times where you can't intervene and make A happen instead. Does that make sense to you? Do you understand the point that I'm making this afternoon clearly? Why does God not intervene sometimes and yet He intervenes in others? I believe that God, every time He can intervene, He does. And if God did not intervene at some point in your life, it's not because He chose not to for some good reason. It's because He couldn't. And you say, well, how could an omnipotent God can't intervene? Well, I just explained it to you. Because he gave us genuine what? Freedom. And if he gives us, if the freedom is real, then that means he's not going to be able just to step in and do whatever he wants. Have you ever given someone freedom to do things? Have you? 
I had guests over at my house once and I gave them the freedom to have anything they wanted in the refrigerator. Didn't know what was in the refrigerator. But I wished I hadn't let them just have anything they wanted when it was done. For God to step in and intervene now, always and in every situation, that means that He's got to take away what? And begin to do what? And if He takes away this, what is He preventing from us ever being able to experience? Do you see the price that it comes at? I believe that God is not a God who chooses not to. I believe that God is a God that sometimes just can't do anything else but. Now don't get me wrong. Are there some types of suffering that God does choose to let come our way for good results? Are there? For learning time. Yes, but something I've noticed is those sufferings are always different in nature than the type of suffering we're talking about this evening. We're talking this evening about rape and child molestation. Are you with me? Does God ever happen? Does God ever choose to let those happen to teach people good lessons? No. No. God wants to prevent it. Are you with me? See, this is how we reason it. We've learned so far that not everything is happening according to God's will. Amen? If not everything that ha- is happening is happening according to God's will, then there's some things happening that He doesn't have a good reason for, right? Are you with me? He didn't want them to happen. So there's not a reason, a divine reason for that. Why? Because He didn't want it to happen. The next point is, did He prevent it? No, we have to leave that one there. He didn't want it to happen, but he didn't prevent it. He wanted to prevent it, but he didn't. What's the only other thing that we can change about this line of logic? The could. And that's what I'm trying to introduce to you this afternoon. That we assume that God can do anything he what? Wants to. But because God has given us freedom, God can't do everything he wants to. Do you understand the difference? It's not because he has a lack of ability. It's because he's granted us freedom. Let me illustrate it this way. Can God make a round triangle? And don't be foolish. Without redefining words, can God make a round triangle? Leaving the definitions as they are intact. What's the definition of a triangle? What's the definition of a circle? Circle. (laughs) Yeah, that's the best I've ever gotten to, too. (laughs) Something with one side, right? (laughs) Well, two sides, an inside and an outside, but that's it. Yeah, there's no angles. There's no, no points. Corners, that's the word I was looking for. There's no corners. It's just round, that's right. Now I want you to look at this. If God created a triangle, but he wants it to be round, well then he shouldn't create a triangle, he should create a what? A circle, because these are two opposite things. By their very nature, he, because of their nature, he cannot create a round triangle. Does that mean he's, he's not omnipotent? No. That just means there are certain things 
by their nature that are contradictory. Does that make sense? Triangles have three sides and circles are circles. And there's no such thing as a circular triangle. For him to make one would mean he makes one or the other, but he can't make both. Well, that's the same dilemma we're in today. God made a world that was created for love. Amen? But because it was created for love, it must also have genuine freedom. Therefore, he gave it three sides. It can't be the type of world that represents a circle. Are you with me? It can't be the world where he's controlling it all and nothing happens unless he wants it to and everything happens for a good reason with him and it cannot be like that. It is a world where freedom exists and sometimes things are happening not because he wants them to happen but someone down here wants them to happen and they've got the freedom to do it. And you say, well, why should they have that much freedom? Because God made us for what? Love and you're only free to love when you're free not to. Isn't that true? What a heavy price that comes at. Now the next question naturally arises. Well, before we get to that question, stay with me. I know what you're thinking. Because I grapple with it too. But look at Ecclesiastes 9 verse 11. And someone touched on this already today. If God creates a world with genuine freedom, that produces risk or, as some would say, chance. A chance that something's now going to happen that you don't want to happen. Isn't that true? Look at what it says in Ecclesiastes 9.11. I saw under the sun. And this is the Bible. This is not Herb Montgomery. It says that the race is not to the swift. Who do we normally think would win the race? The swift, the fastest. Do the fastest always win the race? No. The battle is not to the warriors. You ever heard of a outnumbered Army winning the battle? The battle is always not given to the greater army, is it? Neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth discerning, nor favor to men of ability. Why? Because time and, what's that next word? Chance overtake them, how many? Them all. Does the Bible teach that there is such a thing as chance? Yes. Yes. It says so. See, if you've got this much freedom being exercised, we're all exercising our free wills. And those decisions are setting loose chains of events. And those events are intersecting like a giant web. Sometimes you and I, there's a chance that sometimes you and I are going to get caught in that and things are going to happen the way someone else wanted them to, not the way we wanted them to, and not the way God wanted them to. Does that make sense? Some people say, well, this is true. Good question. We're going to do question and answers in just a second. This is true. This is why some people say, well, why live a healthy life? You can still get cancer. Why live a healthy life if you can live a healthy life and still get cancer? Good question. Why? Any ideas? Does, giving, does living a healthy life give you an advantage in not getting cancer? Just because it doesn't give you a guarantee that you won't give cancer, it get cancer, it does give you a, an advantage that you won't get cancer. Does that make sense? And this brings down to the point. Prayer. Why pray? If this is the type of world we live in, why pray? If there are some things that God can't do... The Bible never tells us that 
Prayer gives us a guarantee that everything we pray for will happen. Do you realize that? But prayer does give us an advantage. Are you with me? Yeah. But it gives you an advantage that God's will will be done. See, prayer gives God, it allows God, it grants God greater what? Control than what he otherwise would have had in a specific situation. Do you catch that? Can he take control if we give him permission to? If we choose to? Yes, and that hasn't violated our freedoms at all now, has it? And that's why we need to pray. Prayer is real, are you with me? Prayer does work, amen? But what do you do with the times where it seems like it doesn't? Well, even prayer doesn't give God the ability to violate someone's free will, does it? Does it? No. There are still rules by which this is all operating. And it has to operate that way or else there's no chance of experiencing love. There are principles that are in place. And we're stuck in the middle trying to make sense out of them. But that's why, have you ever noticed, when someone's suffering, we automatically, instinctively pick up the phone and we call as many people as we possibly can and we get them all praying? Have you ever noticed that we do that? Well, why do we do that? I'll tell you why we don't do that. We don't do that because if we can just get enough people together, then God will be convinced to get up off his laurels and act. We don't do it for that reason. But I'm convinced that the more people we get praying, the greater the advantage that God's will will be done in this situation. Are you with me? But does that mean no matter how many people you get praying, does that mean that there's always a guarantee that if you get enough praying, that it'll just happen the way it should? Is there a guarantee there? No, because there's times when there's been huge prayer chains amassed, hasn't there? And yet it still didn't happen. But see, prayer really isn't like a vending machine where we just go to it, we stick in our prayer, and God gives us what we want. It's more like an act of warfare, is it not? Where we're opening up those doors and letting God into the house to work in situations where others might be pushing Him out. And we're giving God greater control in a free world that He has chosen to be free. And we're giving God greater influence and advantage. And we're allowing Him into situations that might have previously shut Him out. And we're giving God and ourselves and those involved an advantage through prayer. Prayer is an act of stewardship. Do you catch that? Prayer doesn't mean that what I pray for will automatically happen. Prayer simply means, God, I know that you want to bring my daughter's dog back to her. Do you understand the difference? And so as an active stewardship and a free moral being, I'm inviting you into this situation to have as much control as you possibly can. Please, Father, your will be done. Do you catch that? Your will, bringing the dog back to my daughter. I know that's God's will. Your will be done. What if it hasn't happened? Some would say, well, maybe it wasn't God's will. Hogwash! Maybe it was one of those things about God's will that human freedom prevented from happening. Do you catch what I'm saying? Why don't we ever say that? Why do we disparage the character of God when people suffer? Well, why was that person raped? Well, maybe it was God's will. Do you understand what you're doing to God in that situation? That is a sick, sick picture of God to even say something like that. 
Well, it's time for me to close. But let me say a few more things, can I? It's Friday afternoon, where are you going to go? I mean, Saturday afternoon, where are you going to go? You don't have to go to church tomorrow. Unless I'm here. See, many times we will say exactly what I just said a moment ago. When someone suffers, we'll say, well, you need to see the good in this. You need to see beyond this situation and see what good reasons why God could be choosing to allow this to happen in your life. And what we're doing, we're inadvertently taking something that's evil and we're calling it what? We're calling it good or God's will. In Isaiah 5 verse 20, it warns us, Woe to those who call evil what? And good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness and who substitute bitter for the sweet and the sweet for the bitter. Woe to those who call the bitter things of life on this planet a sweet thing. Woe to those. It's not God's will. In Acts 10 verse 38, Jesus said, it says that Jesus of Nazareth, he, he was anointed of God, and he, God anointed him with the Holy Spirit with power, and he went about doing good and healing, how many does it say? All who were oppressed by the devil. How many? Jesus would walk into villages, and there would not be one ounce of sickness left when he left. He would just heal them all. And he did that everywhere except for one place. Do you know where it was? Nazareth. It was in Nazareth. And I ask you, why didn't he do it in Nazareth? It says, And the works of power which he did there were small in number because he chose for a good reason not to do them there. Is that what it says? And I don't understand this verse. But what I get out of this verse is that the reason Jesus did not do in Nazareth the things that he wanted to do and the things that he did in other places was not because he wanted to do less things there, but because he could not, for some reason, do those things there. Do you understand that? Did Jesus want to do the things in Nazareth that he did everywhere else? Well, why didn't he? Because he, he couldn't. And I don't know how it is that that prevented him from doing it. I don't know in what situation and what specifics there was in your life that prevented God's will from being done. But I want to say this, that whatever pain, whatever suffering that you've encountered in your life, it was not God's will. And if God could have done it or had it done any other way, He would have. And the reason God did not intervene in your life in that specific situation was not because He was sitting on His laurels not wanting to, for some good reason. It was because He was trying every possible avenue He could to break through and bring the intervention that both you and He wanted. But for some reason He because of human freedom, some reason he, he couldn't. See, the Bible doesn't teach that God wins every battle. The Bible only teaches that God will win the war, amen? We are in a great controversy, and as in every war, there are casualties of war. And not everything we suffer is for a reason. And some of you, I understand, and I want to be very sensitive, some of you cannot handle the suffering that you've been through being pointless. For no good reason. And if that brings you comfort, I don't want to touch it. 
But for me, what I've been through to say it was for some good reason that God orchestrated it has greater liabilities than for me just to say it was pointless, it was something else, it was not God's will. He had nothing to do with this. He was working to defeat this in my life, but this was one of the things, one of the battles that he lost. See, I am, I'm on God's side. But you know what the problem is? I'm living in a war that is declared, on a planet that is declared civil war against the kingdom of heaven. I'm on heaven's side living behind enemy lines. Does that make sense? Think of it. Think of it. Could the north control everything that happened in the south when the civil war was taking place? No, this is a genuine battle that God is engaged in. Hmm. I'm so sorry. Two more points. And you can read the rest on your own. The hardest thing for me to do on this subject is stop. The hardest thing for me to do in life is sit through a sermon. (laughs) And so I'm very sensitive to where you're at right now. But I've only got a few more minutes with you and then I don't know if I'll ever see you again. So let me just share these things. In Daniel chapter 10, we have the story. And for those of you familiar with it, we won't belabor it for the sake of time. But we have the story where David fasts for how many weeks? Do you know it? For three weeks. How many days is that? 21 days. He's fasting and praying for God to answer and bring clarity to his understanding of a vision. For 21 days he's praying. Now, if you and I were praying for something for 21 days, what would we start thinking around day 21? Be honest. Okay? Yeah. (laughs) But what else? What would we start thinking about what we're praying about? What would we start thinking? We're fasting, we're praying. It's three weeks later. Maybe it's not God's will. Isn't that what we'd say? Maybe it's not going to happen. Or some of us would think, well, maybe I'm not good enough for God to answer my prayer. Well, that's not true either. God never answers your prayer because you're good. God answers your prayer because he's good. But I want you to notice. At the end of those... Three weeks, Daniel says, towards the upper middle of that passage there in Daniel 10. He says, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen. And he said to me, O Daniel, high esteem, of high, man of high esteem, understand the words that I am about to tell you, and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the... And I love this. I'm so glad the Bible says this. For from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before God, your words were what? Heard. When did God answer Daniel's prayer? 21 days ago. Are you with me? Well, why has there been three weeks then? Is that the transit time between heaven and earth? Is the angels just taking it to stop by Starbucks and pick up a cappuccino on the way? I mean, what's going on? He says, And I was... Your words were heard and I have come in response to your words, but... Circle that word, but... But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for what? 
Now that's interesting. When did God want to answer Daniel's prayer? But it took God how many days? Why? Because there was another free will involved. Do you catch that? Do you see that? See, and this isn't, I don't think this is a human free will. See, there were, the Hebrew word here for prince is ruler. Michael was the prince of the Hebrew people. Do you remember that? The spiritual prince of his people. Michael in the book of Daniel. You've got a starry look on your face. How many know what I'm talking about? Okay, Michael. He was the prince of of the Hebrews, of the Israelites in the land of Canaan. Well, here we're talking about a prince over the land of what? Persia. Do you believe that Satan's kingdom is organized on this planet? That certain demons might have certain territories that they're responsible for? Do you remember in Mark chapter 9 when Jesus sought to cast out the demoniacs called Legion? Do you remember what the request was? Send us into the pigs, but don't make us leave this area. Do you remember that? Interesting. Send us into the pigs, but don't make us... Li- Why? Because this was the area that, they, their, that, that was their jurisdiction. Does that make sense? Well, here you have a prince of the kingdom of Persia, a spiritual ruler, a demon, so to speak. And Gabriel comes to answer Daniel's prayer. And the demon says, hold on a second, Gabriel. This isn't Canaan. This isn't Michael's territory. This is my territory. And they don't want you here. No. Daniel's there. And Daniel's one of God's people. Living in the land of Persia. And he wants me there. And this battle began to ensue. And I'm not saying it was a physical battle. But it was a battle nonetheless. And it says, and now it says, I've been, look what it says. Then behold, after 21 days, then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Isn't that incredible? For 21 days, what enabled him to finally get through? Michael came and gave him assistance and they got through. And it took. 21 days for God to answer his prayer. What would have happened if on day 20, Daniel would have stopped praying? Well, I guess it's not going to happen and he gave up. What would have happened? Gabriel would have came to the, to, to the prince of Persia and said, No, Daniel wants me there. And what would the prince of Persia have said? He doesn't want you anymore. And what would have happened? The whole story would have been different, would it not? This story, I believe, clues us into the importance of persevering in prayer. But let me be quick to add, because I don't want to set you up for the disappointment that I've experienced in life either. Even if we persevere in prayer, remember, it gives us an advantage. Not a what? It's an act of stewardship. Where we are persevering in order to give God as much control as he possibly can take in this specific situation. Does that make sense to you? What assurances can we have? In closing, what assurances can we have? We can't be assured that nothing bad will ever happen to us because we live in a free world where now there's a thing called chance, right? We live in a free world where not everything is happening according to God's will. Certain things we need to be aware of. Buy home insurance. Are you with me? I mean, think about it. If nothing happens unless God wants it to, why buy home insurance? Unless you're just trying to cash in on God's will when it goes in the wrong way. 
doesn't make sense. Buy home insurance. Be smart. If you walk down dark alleys, don't just pray, God, keep me safe. Carry a big stick, too. Does that make sense? Not because he's incompetent, but because we're living in a free world. Does that make sense? And you have just as much freedom as they do. Yeah. <laughs> Switch to Geico. <laughs> what assurances can we have? The number one assurance that I believe we can have today is in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4 on your last page. It says, And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I can't explain to you the whys of why things have happened to you on this planet, but I know one thing. The answer to the why is not to be found in the mystery of God's will. God's will towards you has been nothing but goodness. Are you with me? Why it happened to you is not to be found in trying to understand God's part of the equation. What we need to, the reason we can't understand why is because the nature of this free world is very complex. Does that make sense to you? In other words, it's not that God's will is so complex that we can't understand why. It's the nature of this world is so complex, you would have to have a working knowledge of every free moral decision that has ever been made on planet Earth and how those have intersected at your life right now at this very moment to bring about this event. Does that make sense? We can't always understand all of that on this side of eternity. But the problem is not in God. The problem is in the nature of a world that is made free. And it has to be made free, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but I'd rather live in a free world than a safe world. You say, I don't know about that. Well, I can understand why we would wrestle with that. Our forefathers started this country because they didn't want security. They wanted freedom. Since 9-11, Americans have been trading their freedom for more security. Do you see how they work in tandem? I don't want a safe world. I want a free world. Because only in a free world can we experience love. There are people that have a very secure life on this planet. They have a roof provided for them, guaranteed to them over their head. Three square meals provided for them every day. Employment opportunities provided for them, guaranteed to them. They don't earn much. But it's employment nonetheless. They even have a gym that they can work out at certain periods of the day. But where are they? They have lots of security, but no freedom. But the promise is that one day, Jesus will open our understanding. And I don't know if it'll happen on the first day of eternity, during the first week of eternity, or the first hundred years or thousand years of eternity. But at some point into the place of eternity, He will wipe away every tear from every eye. He will undo the pain. Amen? He will bring it to an end and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain for the first things have, what does it say? Praise God, what an assurance, amen? Not every battle will be won, but this proves he will win the war. And the second assurance is very close to this. In Nahum 1, 9, it says, Why do you conspire against the Lord? He'll make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up. What does it say? A second time. Assurance number one is it's going to come to an end. He's going to make up for it. He's going to wipe away every tear from every eye. And the second assurance is that this will never happen again. What a promise. Amen? How many want to be part of that existence? Part of that world? And it won't be because he's taken away freedom. It's because we've fallen so in love with God. And we've grown up. And we realize what causes pain and what doesn't. And we stop doing the things that cause pain. 
That's why it won't happen a second time. Matthew 25, and this is one of the more personal assurances. This is the third assurance. There's four of them. This is the third one. It says, The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say unto you, to the extent that you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, even to the least of them, you did it to who? Nothing happens to any of us on this planet that doesn't simultaneously happen to who? To God. How do I know that? Do you hurt when people you love hurt? Do you? And the more you love them, the more you hurt when they hurt. Isn't that true? God loves us all infinitely, does he not? And so never has a child been molested, never has a woman been raped, never has a man been murdered, where God himself was not murdered, molested, or raped. Do you catch that? And as much as it happens to the least of them, it happens to who? To him. See, God is not over there when we suffer. Many times we picture it. He's over there, here's the suffering afflicting us, and we're praying to him to bring this to an end. That's not how it works. God is here being a victim during the suffering with us. It's not his will that's being done either. And he wants it to stop just as much as we do. And he's looking for every event to make that happen. But whatever we we go through, the assurance is that he's going to go through it with us. He's not absent from our suffering. And the fourth assurance, and this is my favorite, and we know that God causes how many things? All things to work together for good. To those who what? Who love God. If you will let Him, God will take whatever pain has happened to you in your life, whether you brought it upon yourself or not. He will take that pain and He will, by the miracle of His grace, turn it around and make it an asset. Do you catch that? He'll turn it around and bring good out of it. Good that would not have occurred had that not happened. Now don't go too far. Don't say, oh, that must be why he allowed it to happen because this good thing wouldn't have happened without this. No, that's not what that proves. God never wanted that to happen. Are you with me? But now that it has happened, can God come behind it and bring good out of it by the miracle of his grace that wouldn't have been there otherwise? Can he? That's the miracle of God. We serve the more powerful being. Amen? That's why in Genesis 50 verse 20, Joseph said to his brothers, he counseled them not to be angry with themselves. He says, the evil that you plan to do me has by God's design been, what's that word? Turned to good. God didn't will for that to happen. Amen? Wasn't his will for Joseph to go through all that stuff. I know there's some things in print that say it is. It's not. She never says it is. That's not the print I'm talking about. It was never God's will for him to go through all that. But did God use everything that happened to Joseph? Did he turn it around and use it for good? Yeah, he did. And that's the very assurance and promise that we can have. Number one, it's going to end someday. Number two, it'll never happen again. Number three, whatever we go through, we are not going to go through it alone. Amen? And number four, whatever happens to us, God may not be able to prevent it sometimes, but whatever happens, He can always step in and turn it around to be a blessing rather than a curse. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to open it up for questions. Father, this afternoon, we have covered some very...